Welcome to OceanFit's Onshore Podcast, where Andre Slade, that's me, meets the unordinary people of the open water swimming and water safety community onshore to talk about their adventures, lifestyle, and passion for the offshore. In this episode, I met up with John Barrett and Kylie DeRoy of the Townsville Open Water Swimming Association. We're here in the Arcadian Surf Lifesaving Club, excited to be joined by John Barrett, who's the president of the Townsville Open Water Swimming Association, and our enable assistant, <laughs> Kylie DeRoy, also on the committee of the association. Uh, we've got some exciting things to talk about today because we're up in North Queensland and open water swimming is thriving up here from what I've uh, seen, so I can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, John, kick us off. This association's been around for a really long time, hasn't it? All right, Andre, welcome to Townsville. Um, so the Maggie Allen Swim was first organised as an event in 1954 when the Queen was coming to Townsville as part of the tour of, of Australia. And it's continued on since then. And we've expanded it now to have a few other ocean swims that lead into the, the island swim. So 1954, 66 years we've been going. On a, there's a couple of years where we haven't been able to do the event for various reasons, but... Um, lately, the, the event went cageless in 2008, and it's grown from being an event for about 13 people to now getting 90 swimmers doing the, the swim. And some of our open water swims up here, we're getting 180. We haven't reached the big numbers that I get for some of the swims down in Melbourne or Sydney or even Rottnest. But for our local swimmers, it's a real opportunity to get out in the water, and they really love it. So it's got royal beginnings. That's right, yeah. Um, I don't know if we've got a royal seal anywhere, but uh, I was pretty happy with the, the, the background of the event. And you straight away talked about the Magnetic Island to Townsville Swim because that was really all all there was, wasn't there, to start with. It was it was all about the swim, and I guess the association was just the committee that organised that yeah, swim. so over the years there's been various people involved in the committee. I think the first one was more a group of local business people who were interested in putting on an event while... The Queen was touring Australia and came to Townsville and opened, I think, James Cook University College. Um, maybe that came later. Um, so it's grown from being something that business people were involved in and part of a Townsville festival, the local event, to something the surf clubs then got involved in. And a lot of the people who came in those first 50 years were a lot of surf swimmers. Um, over the years, it's then migrated to... Some distance swimmers. Laurie Lawrence has been heavily involved over the years with bringing a number of swimmers to Townsville. And we've probably still a history of the swim back in 1950. And if you look through the swimmers from that, there's some standout names in that history of people who've come to Townsville to do the event. Um, and so it's gone, gone from that local beginnings to being an Australia-wide event. We've had swimmers from overseas um, come to do the event each year. And... Just locally, it's been something that people have aspired to. We get 13 and 14-year-olds wanting to get out there and their parents want them to do the swim. And some of them, I think, are keen to do the swim. Some of their parents are a bit keen to do the swim for them. <laughs> um, so you get, you know, usual sort of story. But um, we let swimmers 14 and over do the swim. And last year, I think the male swimmer was an 18-year-old school kid from Sydney. Um, the female winner, uh, Jess Evans from Brisbane. Um, she's done a few other open water events 
sent in um, a swim around Morton Island last year. Was it end of last year? Started this year as a fundraiser for depression. Um, so she's yeah, something. Something's really so it's attracted that wide range of people um, who just love being in the ocean and love the swimming. But back when it first started, there was something a little bit different about the swim. Yeah, so we've had cages. And because when they tell me, and Kylie's brother's a a fisheries biologist, and they tell me that this is a breeding ground for tiger sharks. I've never tested it myself. But if you go out there fishing and you get your fish taken by a shark, then there's probably some truth to it. Look, there's always tales that come from every city. And and, um, Townsville is an industrial city as well as a garrison city, but it's an industrial city. There were um, meatworks up the river, so, you know, there's always been the tales that the meatworks in the 50s, everything sort of went into the river, so it attracted a lot of marine life. So the fact that the, uh, that the cages um, were part of the swim, um, it sort of pays homage to those, you know, those sort of cultural stories or those, you know, those old-day old stories about the, the meatworks, whether it's true or not, who knows. But um, it, the cages also allowed the local boaties to get involved because you needed something to, to tow the boats. So, you know, like it became one of those things too, you know, that, that the boats would get involved and, and you'd have particular skippers that were very, very good at what they did towing that, that cage because it's an art in itself apparently. So you had to match the speed of the swimmer and yeah, the currents and, and, and the movement. The, the type of boat that could tow a cage. So if you've got a fancy charter boat, it's going to be hard for it to tow a cage because it can't go slow enough. Whereas the favourite boat people had was an old tugboat from an old tugboat from the port, which would just chug along with the cage behind it. It could swim. Uh, the swimmer could swim in the cage fairly comfortably. These cages were about. 12 foot long, and the ideal position for the cage was right up to swim, was right up in the front of the cage. So you're almost dragging off the front of the cage. We always had attached to the cage was a dinghy, which had an official, an observer, and the coach or the urger or whoever it was keeping keeping the swimmer going. And the idea is that the coach and the or the observer would signal to the boat to go faster or slower, depending on whether the swimmer's getting tired or if they're hitting themselves on the front of the cage, then they need to speed up. They want the boat to speed up a bit. In a fraction of a second, you'd get a wave come along and it will push you from the front of the cage to the back of the cage and all of a sudden you're struggling against this surge of water coming through the cage. Um, and we've got some great photos over the years of people getting stuck at the back of the cage trying to swim or when we've had really rough years people coming out of the end of the swim with their knuckles bleeding because they've been hitting the cage all the time. And these cages were made early in the early years, they were made of chicken wire. Later on, they became made of aluminium framing framework, the sort of stuff you see on window um, security frames. So um, they were, it was a real art to be able to swim in that. Oh, the theatre of the swim would have been yeah. just amazing. And, and to add to that, as Kylie said, some of the skippers knew what they're doing and some of the boats were really good and some of them were novices to it. And we had a limit. We had 13 cages, so that was our limit on how many swimmers we could have. And but trying to get 13 cages to start, it's like the Grand Prix. There's 13 boats and cages with cages about 50 metres behind the boat, all lined up, ready to go. They all take off. Some are going a bit faster, some are a bit slower. A couple of years, you know, the boats would cross over. 
the ropes on the cages Sounds like a belt race would get tangled <laughs> there'd be always a few issues there was, there's lots of issues with the cages in terms of um, the boat the way the boats you know which boat was the best one we used to have a lucky draw to find out which cage went which swimmer went which with which went with each boat, boat yeah, you. a bit like the Melbourne Cup draw. Yeah, wow. Well, and uh, and so that added to the drama of it, and you always thought, oh, who's going to who's going to get the the um, the tow boat, the tow the best tow boat? Yeah, I can imagine some enthusiastic uh, skippers there going a bit too quick off the mark, and the swimmers are dragged to the back of the cage oh, and getting pulled. Yeah, along. possibly because I mean, even your fastest swimmer are only just doing probably, you know, maybe just under five k an hour, so it's not very fast for a boat. Uh, you know, towing a cage and it's just sort of getting that consistency to tow it so that it doesn't, you know, you don't get slack in the rope and like JB said, it's it's about, you know, finding that that sweet spot in the cage and being able to stay there as long as you can. So when was it that the cages were removed? So 2008, we've we had lots of discussions over the years about doing without the cages and I was on the committee back in the 90s and at that stage we but very adverse to doing without the cages because we're most concerned about shark attacks. But over the years, um, a number of Townsville swimmers went over to Perth and did the Rottnest Island swim where they swim without cages. And they were coming back to Townsville saying, well, they can do it in Rottnest, which is great white territory. Why can't we do it here? And it's from that, and particularly Chris Palfrey and Penny Palfrey were part of the main push to do the swim. And a lot of people who, because you used to have qualifying swims and there was a cutoff for, you know, the best 13 swimmers would get to do the swim. A lot of other people wanted to do the event just to do it. And so that became a real push and they came up with a, a framework where we could do the swim, where we thought we could do it safely enough with enough escort paddlers and IRBs and support support craft on the water to be able to do it. And um, luckily it worked. G'day, kia ora. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about OceanFit. Back in 2009, OceanFit started as an ocean swim school on the golden sands of Bondi Beach. But now, we've become so much more. We deliver our world-leading training to hundreds of swimmers every summer on beaches throughout Australia, and thousands learn from our free educational resources online. Our Swim Scout directory, available on our website and app, will help you find a swim buddy, connect with social swimming groups, and discover swim events throughout the country. You can also participate in one of our events, escape with us on a wet and wild weekend, or immerse yourself on a boutique ocean swimming holiday at home or abroad. So what are you waiting for? Dive right in at oceanfit.com.au. Enjoy the rest of this episode and swim free. So now in 2020, what does the event look like? Much bigger uh, and it's also a lot more organising. So JB talked about 90 swimmers, but I actually think, in fact, we've had up to about 140 if you take the teams into consideration because we now allow teams as well. So that's something that you couldn't do with the cages. So we now allow duos and teams of four Um also taking off from the Rottnest Channel Swim. You know, we could, we've really used that as, as a sort of a benchmark to, to be able to expand and, and see how we can go. So now we're in, well, on average, probably about 60 solo swimmers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can have up to sort of 20 teams of four and then another, 
you know, 10 or 12 teams of two. Um, so that and those teams have to have a powered craft as well as a paddler. So there's there's that extra security of having more boats on the course as long as they're you know looking out for the swimmers. Our swimmers are always of the utmost importance and and their protection. Um, but it it just creates a bit of a, uh, a a bit of a carnival atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of logistics that go into it, getting swimmers to the island, and the lead up to the actual swim. There are certain pools that you know around the place to. Brookpool has a lot of swimmers that that want to do the swim locally, but then just you know the uh, the anticipation of the of the quality of swimmer that you might get from down south or overseas, like JB said, you know it's it's always nice to see somebody new come to the um to the event and not just the local swimmers. So we've been very lucky that we've sort of grown and our sponsors have also grown with us. So you know we've we've done a lot of work in the last sort of 12 years to to make sure that the swim keeps growing and growing and and we know that we'll probably never get the uh numbers that something like Rottnest gets you know they're up to a 5,000 competitors now but for a city of 180,000 swimmers we've only got a certain pool you know you've only pardon the pun <laughs> but you've only got a certain number of swimmers that will actually participate in the event so you know when there's not a lot of swimmers in Townsville but for us to get the numbers that we're getting and in the lead-up events now that we've introduced is is um, very promising for us. And because it's steeped in all that history over all those years you know it's a it's a swim that becomes a goal for someone who wants to do something special because it, it is a tradition it is something that's been around for a long time and will probably be around for a very long time. And I th- also think that for our locals you know like there's a little bit of a bragging rights thing attached to I've swum from the island back to the mainland because you can see it. It's just there. It's eight kilometres away. So it's actually easy for people to say, like, I've done Rottnest, and you go, oh, yeah, I've, I've swum Rottnest. But until you've gone to Rottnest and you go, I'm swimming that way and I actually can't see the island, um, people don't understand the the enormity of it. But if if somebody who is a swimmer and then they they can tell their friends I've swum from that island back to here and people go, oh, wow. You know, so it's a little bit of that bragging rights thing, I think, for locals to say that I've, I've done the island swim. You've got a few bragging rights yourself, don't you? Oh. Eight, eight of them? <laughs> um, you, the island swim, you mean? I've got, oh, I've done ten, eight, nine So you've swims. won it five times. I've won it five times as a solo swimmer. Um, but it was very important to me after I sort of did a few on my own. The first one I did was um, very unexpected. Um, I wasn't expecting anything. I'd only just started swimming again. I've swum for a long time. I've swum since I was a kid and went back to swimming. And that first one was a um, was really, really unexpected. Um, and then continued, I think, for the next two years after that. So one for three in a row. But then I, my, yeah, my eldest daughter was also a swimmer and she um, showed some interest. So when she was 12, I let her... Um, swim the island swim in a team so then I took on a few teams just to encourage some of the younger kids to get involved and then we had some um you know some 15 16 year old girls that maybe wanted to swim it so I would do a duo with them as well and then I think I've done another two where I've I've done a solo again but um I enjoy I enjoy organizing it and I enjoy um giving back to the swimming community so if I can you know I've I've done my solos. I don't know if I'll do any more. I might do some more team events. But as a kid comes through and they and that's sort of like you have to be able to, you actually have to do a team event before you can do a solo 
in our swim. It's a good experience. It, yeah. and, and just to give them that experience and to let them be part of the whole day, I think it's really important to give back to those kids and mentor those kids along so that they enjoy the ocean as much as I do and JB does and, and some of the older people. Have you done a team event with your daughter? Uh, yes, yeah, so I did that team event uh, with my eldest daughter, Emily, um, and some other people from our surf club. So we, it was actually uh, three young girls, so they were all 12, and then there was me at 45 or whatever <laughs> I was at the time, maybe 42. Um, so we did that one together, and that was really exciting for them. And, and also, you know, a little bit of a plug for the Arcadian Surf Club because we've had a few of the solo, old, the older guys do do the, the caged event like in the 50s, so you know, just carrying on that tradition in the surf club as well. That event is, I mean, it's the pinnacle of the region. It's what started it all here. Now we have the association and you have more events, you have more people involved and it's really become a much larger community. Yeah, so in 2008 when we went... I think we went from the Magnetic Island Swim Association to Townsville Open Water Swim Association, which reflected the fact that at that stage we were doing probably one qualifying swim. So to do the swim, it's eight kilometres. We wanted people to show that they'd done at least a 5K swim um, so they'd be happy with doing the distance. We had some confidence they could do the distance. And that was it was not so much qualifying in terms of the top 50 swimmers would go through. It was qualifying in terms of you can do the, the event in a certain time frame. And we'd made a fairly, I think, a four-hour time frame in that first couple of years, which was very generous um, for, that was the 4K, sorry, four hours for the 8K swim, which is very generous. We've cut it down a bit now to, because we've realised that's probably a bit too generous. Um, so they started off as having one qualifying swim a year saying, well, we've got a four, four or 5K qualifying swim, and with that we put on a small swim for younger kids who are doing the relays so they get some experience. And then we thought, well, all of a sudden starting with a 4K swim, maybe we need a lead-up swim. Yeah, so I, I came to JB with an idea about it doing a series because um, I'm a destination swimmer and I love to find a place that I'd like to go and visit and then do the swim or, or do a, find a swim in a place that I want to go and visit and then do the swim, have a look around, visit the region. Um, so And then I'd been doing lots of research about different swims and I was like, um, well, maybe I can, um, maybe we can put this series together. So I, I went to JB with the idea of starting with a 2K swim and then, you know, increasing that up into the island swim qualifier and then finishing with a shorter swim at the end. And then we create this series and then people have the opportunity to then work towards a series goal or being awarded a series winner in their category or whatever. So, you know, we, we spoke about it a little bit and, and, Slowly we, we, we developed this series and then um, the 2K swim became like um, it just so happened to fall a month before the Cairns Ironman. So then we promoted it to the triathlon clubs and gave them the opportunity then. Here is a 2K swim. If you're doing 70.3 or you're doing the full Ironman, at least you're going to get a 2K swim. Test your wetsuit out. Do it in a race environment so you know what it feels like and it just gives them the opportunity also. So we like to cater to all all different areas, triathlon, pool swimmers, open water swimmers, just your casual swimmer, your weekend warrior. So, you know, we're, we're trying to be really inclusive and make sure that everybody gets an opportunity to swim in this series 
Um, so then we also offer a short course as well. So you can get to do a long course and a short course depending on your ability. And then everybody, you know, mums and dads get involved. If the kid's actually swimming the longer one, mum or dad might go, well, I can swim that shorter one. I'll get involved too. So then it becomes a family affair and we made it very reasonable. We didn't, you know, we're not about making money. So it was all about participation and making things reasonable as long as we could cover our costs and offering them something that then went through the winter months because winter in Townsville is absolutely spectacular. I would agree with that. <laughs> one thing I love about the events that you've run is they're not just your standard swim around the boys no, we, they're actually really innovative, aren't they? So Kylie, Kylie said, like the first event we we're going to do months before the Cairns Ironman, and it was going to be a pool-to-pool -pool swim. So the pool is this rock pool here just outside to Tabrook Pool, which is two kilometres at the other end of the strand. And so it's a, a one-way swim, not going round and round boys. So it was different from that point of view. We always had to have a catchy name, though. It's all about the catchy it. name. And But the, the event that's really taken off and it's almost become – not unmanageable, but it's an amazing, um, is the... Ship to shore. Ship to shore. Another great name. Yes. Where we get people to jump on the Magnetic Island Ferry. It stops halfway out to Mag... Not halfway out to Maggie Island, a couple of kilometres offshore. People jump off the boat. You make them walk the plank. And uh, they're, sitting there, they're sitting there out in deep water thinking, what am I doing here? And we say, well, <laughs> head towards the shore. And some of them, There's two courses. One's a short course, one and a half k's or a slightly longer course around the boys of 3Ks. Um, and I can't believe that people want to jump off a perfectly good boat, but they do. They just love it. It's just such a big adventure for them to do it. And then the other event Kylie came up with was a mystery swim at the end of the year. So we didn't tell people where it was going to be, what it was going to be. Generally, we didn't know ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> and, that, that's the history behind so that. So that one, the first one Kylie organised, I was away at the time, was um, – we got the ferry company, Sealink, involved with that event and they took the ferry over to Picnic Bay and the swimmers jumped off the ferry and swam into Picnic Bay, which is a perfect, lovely little bay to swim in. Most definitely. Yeah. And we called that one Jump for the Jetty so that they got to jump off the boat again because they love doing that so much. But it has um, a quite a long jetty, so it's a very good spectator point of view as well. So people got to see the final run into the beach along the jetty. So, you know, you're not just standing on the beach waiting for somebody to come in. You actually get to walk beside them as you as your um, swimmer is swimming and you can you know it's it's yeah. about spectators it's it's about spectators and it's about being innovative and trying find some find something new and like you say not just doing a, a rectangle course around the boys so yeah we've um we've grown haven't we yeah and this year with covid blocking everything down and not being able to run events we actually in queensland are able to open events up uh, recently under a covid safe industry plan and we came up with this COVID safe plan for our strand swim and we called it the Strand Social Safe Ocean Swim. Yes. <laughs> the SOS. SSOS. Um, Lots of S's. And it's one of those things you think, oh, no one's really been training hard. There won't be many people. And you go from having, you know, 40 nominations on the week before close-off to 120 nominations the week of closing. And, and that's been great because it gets, as Kylie said, it gets – the pool swimmers, the surf lifesavers and the triathletes involved. And the great thing I like about the events we've run is we've had great cooperation from the surf lifesaving clubs in doing water safety, from the outrigger clubs, the kayak clubs, general paddlers. You know, there's a couple of quite a few ocean paddlers up here in Townsville. And they'll come along and provide water safety for us. And 
just being able to provide that water safety makes everyone so much more comfortable and happy to be doing their swims. So. And that it shows up in all our all our events. I think yeah. that they're, they're uh, safe events. And and JB, because JB and I are, you know, we're quite closely connected to other organisations in Townsville, particularly me with the the surf club. It's very easy to organise water safety, and our water safety um, are well known in Townsville. They also provide the water safety for the triathlon festival here, and and people know that those lifesavers know what they're doing. And that's you know, as long as you put somebody's mind at peace when it comes to safety in the water and they know somebody's looking out for them they'll give something to go you know and all they need is just a little bit of a push sometimes and and you watch them grow with confidence and they're at every swim for the rest of the year so from an association point of view it's obviously a not-for-profit and how, yeah, how so do you how do you run the association? Because um, there's well. not too many of them around the country. <laughs> most most you well, know well, swims you, are run by surf yeah, clubs or yeah. um, co- corporate organisers. I know the Gold Coast has got an open water swimming club now, um, and you're an association. So how does that how does that work? So we're an incorporated association. Unfortunately, like most associations, it's there's a core of about five to ten people who. We're actively involved in organising the events. Five of us, really. <laughs> um, but we draw on, as Kylie said, we draw on a lot of other groups to help us actually put the events on on the day. So we're, we're probably a key organising body rather than a body that makes everything happen in that same way. We've tried to have annual general meetings where we attract people to come to the meetings we're going to put on drinks or something like that. But um, most people who come to our events, Surf Lifesavers are already involved in the surf club. The swimmers are already involved in the swimming club. The triathletes are involved in their, their clubs. So for us to just be a, a small coordinating body probably works pretty well. That um, The other thing is we're probably independent. We're not part of Swimming Queensland or Swimming Australia. We're an independent organisation. So we it's been good that we can draw on those bodies and, and people like Masters Swimming for their risk assessments or their COVID safe plans or their open water swim rules and, and those sort of things. We can draw on those rules, but we do it in a way that suits what we're doing here in Townsville for our events. And so do you put on other social events? Do, do people get together outside of the events or is it very much about it's organising just, the I events? think it's just our events. Even at the end of the Mystery Swim where we do our series presentations, probably not everyone sticks around. No. Which, no. Means, which indicates to me people aren't so much interested in the prizes. They're interested in the swim. The swims. Yeah, uh, no. but you know we get those we get those prizes off to those people. But I think uh, as an association, it works for us. Like you said, JB, it works for us up here because we're very distinct too. People know that we're independent, and I think that they appreciate the fact that we are we are doing this for no other reason than to give back to the swimming community. Doesn't matter what part of the swimming community you come from. We're giving back to you as an individual. You know, we're not sort of showing any favoritism to any sort of club or, you know, um, other association. This is just purely about the swimmer and then having good relationships with other organisations that can then help us on the day. You've talked a little bit about the swimming groups around how would you define the culture of open water swimming up here? Um, I very giving. 
um, very inclusive. Uh, it, you know, like if you see somebody out there, I just think everybody's got an eye on each other. Um, yes, it's competitive, particularly at that younger age. Even me at, at almost 50, I'm going to do everything in my power not to let a 14-year-old beat me, but I'm going to get to an age where they will beat me. So you've got to encourage, you know, like we try to, en- everybody encourages each other, uh, but at the same time, there's all, you know, you've still got to have that fire in your belly if you're still competing. Yeah, I think I think Kylie is right. There is a competitive edge to a lot of the swimmers. Um but I think for a lot of the swimmers, we get it's about participation and being part of part of an event. Mm. Particularly the Maggie Island swim, people know they're not going to win it, but, but they're there to to be part of the adventure. And, and they and get the swimming cap, and they get the, the shirt. satisfaction. Like two weeks ago, we had a swim here on the Strand. It was blowing twenty knots, which is a cutoff limit for, for the Maggie Island swim. We wouldn't run the event if the winds were stronger than that, particularly with gusts going up to 25, 30 knots. Um, we have done it one year and we found it was too blowy. So um, we had 120 nominations prior to that event and I think we ended up with 93 swimmers doing it. So some people decided it was going to be too windy, they didn't get out of bed. Other people came down here and didn't. They sort of said, oh, I think that's a bit beyond me. It's not so much the surf that you get the Gold Coast or you know, other places, it's more the crosswind, so it became a chop rather than a surf, and that's the difficult thing when you're an open water swimmer, trying to get into a nice steady rhythm as opposed to slogging through it. They tell me coming back, so he went 1K, 500 metres going into the wind, 500 metres coming back. So they said coming, everyone told me coming back was great because you got the wind behind you and the waves behind you pushing you along, that was a good way to do it. But I think for a lot of people in town, just the opportunity to get in and have a swim, mm. even when the pool's closed in everywhere in Australia with back in April, May, people were coming along to the strand and swimming along the strand. Um, at that stage, we'd still have the stinger nets in because the stingers are a problem here over summer. Um, even when they came out, there's still people swimming along the strand you know, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning because um, they just love being in the water. We've very much seen that. On our entire yeah. trip, the numbers of open water swimmers that have come from the pool because of necessity and they've decided they love it and yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens when, when this all finishes up, how many we keep. Yeah. We've, um, we've also, with some of our recent events, we've allowed the triathletes to wear their wetsuits because we're a bit addicted to Always them, a controversial Yeah, yeah. I, know, <laughs> I know. And swims down south and with the Maggie Island swim, we originally said uh, it's FINA rules, you know, no swimsuits, no fast skins with zippers, no none of that. But over the last couple of years, we sort of relaxed that a little bit, saying... But introduced a wetsuit category yeah. so that if so you do wear a wetsuit, that's fine, but you're not eligible for prizes because, you know, we still have to keep it fair. It's and, a swimmer's event. Yeah, and pure because it is a swimmer's event. Um, so the wetsuit, you know, as most people know, will add the buoyancy and, and, and ability. Um, JB did touch on the stinger, suit, um, stinger nets just then um, and that's another reason for our timing of our series over the winter months is that we have to wait for a, that stinger net to come out for our first swim so that we can then, uh, you know, hold the whole series through the winter months when there's no stingers around. And... Townsville is, is it's the centre of the off North Queensland, essentially. Um, I think it is, yes. Yeah, it's, it's the big city. There's always a competition between Tan, Townsville and Cairns. Townsville is the more industrial, port-based, industrial part of 
North Queensland. Um, certainly the port for the for the mineral provinces out west, it's the centre for that. Uh, for sugarcane, for the army, it's, it's the biggest base. Cairns and Mackay are probably more tourism-based than, than Townsville is, but Townsville's sort of diversified as opposed to being a one-industry town, which has given yeah. a bit of stability over the years. Probably over the last 30 years, yeah, definitely diversified. And, and uh, you know, you can see the the promotion of Magnetic Island as a tourist attraction now as well has, has increased a lot over the years. And as the association and running all these swims and having the history, you're essentially this dragging people in from the regions as well because it won't just be Townsville. Yeah, oh, no, it's very much, um, and I mentioned we get people from, from interstate and overseas, but also Cairns, Townsville, and the good, Cairns, Mackay, sorry, the good thing about that, they can also bring support paddlers with them. One of the problems we do have is that if you're getting 190, 60 solo swimmers and a series of teams, we're a small town in t- so compared to Perth, so every swimmer in the water for a Maggie Island swim has an escort paddler with them and trying to find those paddlers. In some years, our safety has been compromised because we don't have the paddlers with the expertise, particularly if it gets rough conditions. And so getting swimmers from out of town who can bring their own paddlers with them um, has been great for us. And the swimmer may be capable, but sometimes the paddler is not as capable or they just don't realise that the conditions are as tricky as they are. When you talked about the cages earlier, I must admit, sharks weren't the first thing that I thought you were being protected from. I thought it was the big crocs. <laughs> um, and so, we've talked about stingers. So we've got stingers that we have to deal with. We've got sharks. <laughs> but you've also had swims disrupted because of our, yeah. what you called so them earlier, lizards? Lizards, little lizards. <laughs> In uh, Even with the cages, the cages only went to water level. So if there was crocs out there, they could have jumped into the cage. And <laughs> Would have had to be very curious, <laughs> yeah. curious crocs. Um, so when we had cages, I can't remember people ever talking about crocodiles and it's only in the last 10 years that people have talked about crocodiles in this area. There have been crocodiles spotted in various parts, like there's river systems either side of Townsville where there's probably resident crocodiles. There's mangroves to the side of Magnetic Island where there may be crocodiles. Um, but in 2015... In the lead-up to the swim, we had a couple of sightings of crocodiles just off the beach here in, um, on the Strand. And about a month out, we said, we're not sure they'd put um, a trap out to try and catch this crocodile and nothing had eventuated and it kept pop- bobbing up now and then. The parks people who have responsibility for, for those sort of things we're saying it's probably just a transient crocodile migrating between river systems. It's been chased out of its home by a bigger crocodile. Um, but it's one of those things you're just not sure and we decided four weeks out with people flying in from out of town with the merchandise we've arranged um, that it's probably best to say to people, look, we're not sure what's happening. We'd rather call it off now. And um, and it had been it, very public too. I mean, it had yeah. been in the paper quite a lot, so it wasn't as though we weren't aware of it. So you also have to take that into consideration um, that, you know, you, you can't be ignorant to these sort of things. And as much as you want a swim to go ahead, the protection of swimmers is, is first and foremost. And I just think with sharks, people tend to think, oh, get an IRB out there, run chase around it a couple of times, chase it away. You, know, you see the surf boats going out, chasing away the, the sharks. Um, no one seems to know how to scare away a crocodile. 
because as soon as you go close and they just duck under the water and they're gone and you don't know where it is. And that's that, that thing you just don't didn't, – yeah. we didn't know and you just can't take the risk. So we called a swim off um, – that was 2015. Yeah, and I, I think I live by the rule that if I wasn't happy to put my own child in that water, I wasn't going to – I wasn't happy for anyone to go yeah. in there. But a few years later, 2018, if my uh, research serves me right, there was kind of some flaky sightings of a crocodile for the strand swim, but you cancelled this, or you didn't cancel the swim. You gave people the option, and everybody well, said, you've got, you've got no good worries. research. So you've got very I'm going to swim standing here at six, about six fifteen in the morning. We're just getting set up and just starting. We're doing manual registrations in those days. Yeah, so we, had we hadn't even set the cans yet, had we? A hundred people lined up, and one of our surf lifesavers on a he was on a um, ATV. ATV. He'd been down to the other end of the strand because that's where the ATV's parked, and brought it back. And he said when he was down there, someone said to him, oh, did you see the crocodile down off the headland this morning? And he's come back to us and said, told us this information. So we had a word with the IRB guys. They went down and had a look. They couldn't see anything down there. As I said, the crocodile might have just ducked under the water, or it could have been a log. But the guy was pretty sure he'd been told it was a crocodile. So I came back and said to the swimmers, look, we've had a report of a crocodile down the far end of the strand, two kilometres away. And that was our pool to pool, so we were starting here and swimming to the other end. Yeah. So would have gone straight past where the crocodile was supposed to be. So we said, we're going to shorten the course and just make it halfway. Do we come back? Yeah. Yeah, so we just went halfway we and back. We went 1K down and 1K back. That was the long course, and then the short course just started. There and came back. Halfway down and then just And so back. we announced to the swimmers, we've had this report of a crocodile, um, we're going to shorten the course. If you want to pull out, we'll refund your money because we understand and it's a last, last-minute decision. And all these people just lined up on the beach and went for a swim. No no one wanted a refund. They're all just so keen to get in and have a swim. But JB and I seem to have these conversations very early in the morning. At uh, One year we had, a, we had a meeting at 5 o'clock, him and I, about the wind, the wind and the island swim. So, you know, you're... You put these swims on and hope for the best with the conditions or with the animals, and then sometimes it throws you a curly. So you've just got to make a decision. Uh, and and quite often, you know, like JB and I in consultation, like you said, with the with the um, water safety from the surf club, it was like, well, yeah, let's do it. If everybody's happy to do it, let's do it. And you know, there's just your eyes are just, you know, you're more keenly yeah. aware that yes. you could be the 2018 pool to pool times were the fastest in history. <laughs> <laughs> they probably were, but I'm a stickler for distance, so nobody got away with a shorter distance. It's like, well, if you're going to swim a 2k swim, you're going to swim a 2k swim. That's one of those things we've under FINA rules and, and master swimming rules. We, people aren't supposed to wear watches in the water, um, but a lot of the triathletes like to wear their watches because they know how far they've they gone and whether they've gone straight <laughs> or not. And, so they always come back and tell us whether oh. we've set the course too far or we went, yeah, we went yeah. crooked. Well, if you haven't timed the swimmer, you haven't really swum. Oh, no, <laughs> apparently not. But I also set the courses for the triathlon festival and uh, I'm, I'm told for the next week or two if I've gone over and I'm like, did you stop your watch at the water's edge or did you stop yeah. your watch at transition? Depending on what brand you've got, when yeah. you started, stopped it. How GPS has picked up, it could be a kilometre difference over yeah. a 2K swim. Yes, yeah. yes. Did you go straight? Did you go straight? <laughs> Did you do the right course? <laughs> well, we had that last year with the ship to shore. We set the course. So it was a different course for that year because 
Um, oh, there's a cable that runs from the island back over to, yeah, to the mainland and the um, Sea Link, the, the sponsor for that swim, just wasn't quite happy where we were asking him to anchor. So he actually flipped the course and moved it this way so that they didn't have to anchor over the top of that or anywhere near that cable. Yeah, so we, sw- we flipped that course and uh, a few people went off course and didn't follow my course properly. I thought it was easy to follow but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we had all these photos of people's GPS Oh yes, Plot. Who yes. Swam? Who'd swum? Who'd actually swum the right course and who hadn't? Yeah. I wouldn't be able to finish this interview up, uh, Kylie, without talking about yourself as a trailblazer, a female <laughs> trailblazer uh, in Townsville. You're the first pre- female president of Arcadian Surf Life Saving Club. Yes, first president of the Arcadian Surf Life Saving Club. Definitely not. Uh, of our branch there's six clubs in our branch we have had a female in our branch before but um, I've been with the surf club for a long time for 34 years and I, I've had lots of different roles and uh, I'm a second generation lifesaver my dad was in a, a surf club he was in the rival surf club picnic bay surf club but not that that means anything and my brother's also a lifesaver but I joined Arcadia when I was 15 uh, and my kids are both involved I met my husband in the surf club but, um, yeah, it was. I just think it was my time to step up. You know, women have been in life-saving for 40 years this year. So I was, um, when I first started, we'd only been allowed to compete for five years. And in even in the first sort of 10 years, you know, events were taken off us for different health reasons and then given back to us. And um, I, you know, the, the surf club movement and lifestyle is so important, I think, to our kids. It gives them the opportunity to be beach safe and water safe and and to develop friendships and and um, not just in your own surf club but surf clubs all around the country when you you know start competing and things like that. So uh, lifesaving is very, very dear to my heart and I think that it was it was time for me to step up and, and take the reins. And I've got a great committee, so, you know, like I'm not doing, you know, the work on my own by any means and I've got a great committee and an administrator and and just very proud to to hold the position for the next couple of years and a great role model for your daughter and other young girls I hope growing so. up in the open water I hope so I, I mean I talk a lot about giving back but I think it's very important to be a giver um, and not expect from giving you know it's it's um, it's one thing that doesn't cost you anything so if you can give back and, and you can mentor and you can show uh, young girls or young women that um, you know, just just being a kind person and a giving person um, is a reward in itself. You know, so hopefully, I I am being a good role model. Um, sometimes I can get a bit cranky, but you know, don't can't we all? Um, but yeah, that's you know that my underlying um, pillars are, are, are based on on giving back. And that's pretty much sums up the two of you. The- John, the president of the well, I was going to association, say, and yeah, Kylie, the president of the I, surf club. I can be president and run the committee meetings, but Kylie's the one who makes things happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was most almost bemused that Kylie actually stepped off the committee towards the end of last year because she had a lot, a lot of other obligations with the kids and family and and whatever. And I was a bit surprised when she put her hand up for being president of the surf club because um, I know surf club or any being president of any association has its ups and downs. So. Wish her well on that, but um, I'm sure she's going to set a good standard for them. Thanks, JB. Well, we need strong leadership within the open water swimming and surf life saving, and it's in great hands up here in Townsville. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. It's been great to find out the history of the Magnetic Island swim, um, and I'm sure 
you guys at the helm here will ensure that it carries on Thanks, well Andre. into the future. Mm. Thanks, Andre.